Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through his word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now, it's time to listen to this week's message. We are in week two of our series called Authority Matters. Would you say it with me? Say Authority Matters. Authority Matters. We planned our sermon series about a year out, so last September, long before um, the vitriol and language and banter and phraseology and COVID and um, the madness that is 2020, um, we had planned this, and it seems so timely, right? Uh, I, was, I was thinking this morning when I drive into church, I'm thinking like, whoever was supposed to go to Nineveh, would you please go to Nineveh already? You know, it's like... Heaven, help us in America. Like, get off the boat and go to Nineveh, all right? Now, we don't know if next month we're going to have crickets that are, you know, that sting you and cause your feet to fall off, if we're going to have death hornets, or, I mean, it's just, it, welcome to 2020, right? Y'all are not laughing. Okay, so let's get into the Word of God. So, real serious today. If you didn't receive a message card upon your entrance, you can raise your hand right quick. One of our leaders would love to serve you there in the back. And uh, if you have a Bible, go with me to Luke chapter 15. Before we get there, I want to make quick three quick announcements that I think are just noteworthy. Uh, number one, yesterday was an amazing day. Uh, I just want to say thank you to the people who served with us. Uh, we, we accomplished a lot in five or six hours. And uh, for those who are not familiar, we own 5.23 acres across the street here on Springfield Drive. And uh, you'll see the, the images here. If you take a right and then take an immediate left, and you go down 92 towards, towards Woodstock. Um, the, the first red light you come to there is Springfield Drive. This is our 5.23 acres. We went in yesterday and cleaned it off. Um, our main drive, where our new church building will be off to the left here, where I'm walking. Uh, to the right is going to be a green space. Our parking lot's in the back. But uh, I'm going to go by tomorrow and spread some grass seed. And uh, I'm just going to challenge you as a church community. If you're local and you do prayer walks or prayer times, over the next few weeks, months... If you can, I want to challenge you to go over there and make that your prayer spot. So if you go there and you see a tent, it's probably because my son and I are camping on the land. We're just so excited. I mean, we just really can't wait. Um, if you like to Eno before the Lord um, on Sunday afternoons, go Eno before the Lord, okay? Just rest right in, underneath that pine plantation, whatever you'd like to do. Enos are hammocks, by the way, if that went there. That's just a, it's just a bougie way of saying hammock, all right? Um, but this is a property. Really, 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 really awesome to see that it's cleaned off. Um, and, of course, we have so many acres that are not cleaned off. But it's just a, it's so exciting to see what God's doing. And I think so often when we get into crisis mode, we forget to thank God that we are have or we have right now what we prayed for years ago. Uh, that, that went over like a lead balloon. So, so you have things in your life right now that you are experiencing that you prayed for for years, right? And sometimes we forget that, and so we lose our gratitude in problem-solving crisis mode, and we forget the joy and the glory of what we're actually experiencing today. And that's what I felt yesterday. Uh, so it's just it's, it's super, super exciting. Also, I thought this was a wonderful opportunity um, for any of you who listen to Victory 91.5, um, a nationally syndicated radio uh, station here in uh, Atlanta, Georgia. I thought this was an amazing opportunity for our church. Um, 
Pastor Don Allen, who owns or is over Victory 91.5, he contacted the church this week. And um, if you ever listen to 91.5 on your way to church, you probably hear, um, you probably hear Pastor Ashley Evans from, uh, from uh, uh, downtown Atlanta, or you hear Pastor Jensen Franklin from Free Chapel, or you hear Pastor Don Allen at church at Warhill. And uh, God put on his heart a couple of weeks ago to nominate or have his team nominate four what he calls up-and-coming pastors in Atlanta. And um, I don't know how it happened, but somebody on his team, uh, multiple people on his team uh, suggested us. So he reached out to me and he is offering over the next few weeks, uh, next two months, two different sermons that he's going to air from God's word here at Dwelling Place. And you say, was that that big of a deal? Well, an 8 a.m. Sunday morning time is about a $15,000 slot and it's completely a free gift to us. And so next Sunday at 8, you might hear my message from December called uh, Unity and uh, unity that demands oil. And so I just want to encourage you as a community uh, to do so and to engage that way. Uh, is it a big deal? I just think it's an amazing deal that God, I pray just at the top of this year, Lord, would you make the ministry of Jesus deaf rousing in our community? Waken ears. And I think it's just an opportunity. And uh, I'm just super, super thrilled and excited about that. Uh, Pastor Jason Curtis up here at Revolution Church, he was on the air uh, 91.5 for one year. His church grew by 3,900 members in one year. Okay, so when we talk about how many people listen to Victory 91.5, you're talking about a lot of people. And so, praise God, you know what I'm believing? Over the next few weeks, we have people come visit that are in Vision 2020. Man, I need, I'm dragging a dead horse right now, okay? So y'all going to have to get with me and, and, and stir up your faith for a moment. You intercessors don't need to pray for a minute. But, but 91.5, we're just praying, you know, Vision 2020, our number one priority is to deepen the spiritual life of seeking believers, and so we believe that, you know, this would be an opportunity. Also, this Thursday, everybody say this Thursday. Thursday. We're going to do something called a conversation of faith. I would love for this place to be packed out. And you say, Craig, is just, we're just going to kind of make light of the issue and give simplistic answers. No, and I'm not being arrogant, but we're going to give, give seminary-level engagement to challenges of understanding God's violence in the Old Testament. What do we do of it? How do we respond? How do we communicate what do we make sense of it? And so we're going to talk about that this Thursday. It'll be open dialogue, and uh, we're really much looking forward to it. Luke chapter 15 is our text for today. Luke chapter 15, I'm going to read one verse. And this comes out of the story of the prodigal son. Now, the prodigal son, I have often for years called it the prodigal father. And the reason I've called it the prodigal father is because prodigal means to be recklessly extravagant. I don't know about you, but the love of the father seems to be way more recklessly extravagant than the sin of the son. Um, the sin of the son is minute compared to the love of the father in this story. And it's amazing to me that when this man, this younger man, takes his inheritance from his father, goes and blows it on wild living, he finds himself in a pig pen. He comes to his senses, and the Bible says he thinks, I could go back to my dad's house, and at least I'd be like a slave, a servant. And the Bible says he gets his comeback speech. Don't we get our comeback speeches? We think God wants to hear our words when we come back to him. He's very uninterested in what we say to him when we come back to him. He's just interested in us coming back to him. And he gets his little comeback speech, and he starts walking. And when his father sees him at a long distance, he essentially undergird, you know, pulls up the loins, and he begins to run, and he wraps his arm around the sun. Now, he gives that son three things. He gives him, number one, a robe. He puts a robe on him. What does a robe represent? That when we come to God in Christ, we get the robe of righteousness, that God gives to us his righteousness, okay? Then he gives him sandals on his feet or shoes on his feet, which is a restoration to sonship or a restoration to daughtership. But then he also gives him a third gift. And if you go read the text in Luke 15, the father says nothing to the prodigal son, not one word, not one word. He just embraces him. 
I know we often think he's talking to him, but he's not. He looks at the servant, go get the fatted calf. My son was lost and is now found. People say, well, God must hate me because he's really silent. It could be scripturally that he's actually so close to you and enraptured you that if he spoke, he'd bust your eardrum. It might not be his silence as a sign of his absence, but his nearness. His, his nearness, his embrace, right? And he embraces the son. And the Bible says, Luke 15, 22, he put a ring on his hand, a robe on his back, and shoes on his feet. This message today is called Power and Authority. God gives us authority. And I want to declare and make it clear that it is by grace through faith that we receive authority. So this is not a spiritual elitism where some get greater authority because God favors some more than others. No, we want to talk today about how sons, as sons and daughters of God, we need to walk in the authority that God gives us. Walk in the authority God has provided for us. Now I want to show you a few scriptures to show you of how the ring represents authority in the Bible. Just a sampling. Genesis chapter 41, verse 42, Pharaoh is now going to institute Joseph as the second man in charge, most powerful in all of Egypt. And the Bible says Pharaoh took his signet ring off his hand, put it on Joseph's hand, and he clothed him in garments of fine linen and put gold chain around his neck. And we did that back in the late 90s. And he had him ride in the second chariot, okay, which he had, second in charge. And they cried out before him, who? The Pharaoh. Bowed the knee. Before Pharaoh and Joseph, so he set him over the land of Egypt. He gave him authority, and what represented that authority? The ring. Esther chapter 8 and verse 8. King Ahasuerus is talking to Mordecai and Esther. He's talking to them, and he said, You yourselves write a decree concerning the Jews as you please. You can write it in the king's name. But I want you to seal it with the king's signet ring. Seal it with the ring. Why? For whatever is written in the king's name and sealed with the ring, no one, not a soul, can revoke what has been sealed. So the ring in Scripture represents authority. So we today, we have representations of authority even in our world today. What I want to do today is I want to focus in on the authority that God the Father gives us as sons and daughters. But let me just say before we jump into our points today, um, years ago we were at a youth camp in Tennessee, state of Tennessee, and um, an older gentleman in, in the, the state of Tennessee was doing our devotional for all of our leaders, our pastors. And he got up one day and told us, a big room full of pastors, he said, uh, earlier in my younger life, he said, when I was younger, I could stop an 18-wheeler with one hand. Now, like what you just did, we did. We're like, what is this dude smoking? I mean, like, what's going on? He... He can stop an 18-wheeler with one hand. And what some people didn't know was before he was a pastor, he was a Tennessee state trooper. And as a Tennessee state trooper, he made the confession to me and to us, when I walk into the highway, I put up one hand. I can put up a half a hand if I want to. And I can put up a half a hand, and I will halt any traffic of any vehicle of any person in the entire United States of America on our highway in Tennessee. So that I can stop them on a dime with one hand. Why? Because he had a symbol of authority. It was called a badge. And when he had a badge, he wasn't stopping the vehicle. The whole state of Tennessee was behind whatever he said. Now, whether or not you want to believe it or not, when we interact with state troopers, whatever they say, the whole state is behind what they're saying. Whatever action they want to take, the whole state of Georgia is behind whatever action they take. 
He had authority, but watch this. It wasn't his own authority. It was the whole state of Tennessee behind him. You say, Craig, what do you mean? Think about that. The Father gives us authority so that when we are rebuking the enemy from our family, it's not our authority, right? It's an authority from another one. So Jesus comes onto the scene with authority. Let's read it. Mark chapter 1, first chapter of this gospel. And they were astonished at Jesus' teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Meaning the scribes or Pharisees taught the Bible, the Old Testament, the Torah, but they didn't have authority. Jesus was unique. He taught as one having authority. Now, you need to know something about authority, by the way. All authority is delegated. All authority. Romans 13, 1 says, all authority comes from God. So whether we like it or not, every bit of earthly authority is delegated. The only person who has authority derived from himself is God. So any other authority we come up against is delegation. It's delegated by God because all authority, true authority, comes from God. God himself causes his authority to derive from himself. But all the authority on earth is delegated. So the father in Luke 15 runs out to his son and he what? He gives and delegates authority back to the prodigal son. But as a son or daughter of God today, can we not also walk in that same authority? And my question today is how do we walk in that authority? How do we live in the authority that God has given to us in the person of Jesus? I want to give you today three things that must be present in my life if I'm going to walk in the authority. Number one, humility. The first one's humility. The quickest way, church, you will lose your authority is to walk in pride. The quickest way you will lose the authority of the kingdom is to walk in arrogance. Why? Because it's not your authority. It's his authority. It's not my authority. It's delegated to me. Jesus, I showed you, showed up with humility. Now, what I don't have time today to do is I can't take you through all three of these words and show you how Jesus exemplified them, although he did in Scripture. Okay? This would be a good study if you want to do this. Okay? Jesus exemplified humility. He gave up all divine privileges to become man, right? And he became obedient to death, even death on the cross. What I want to do today is I want to show you other instances in Scripture where people walked in the authority God gave them as they walked in humility. As they walked in, I'll tell you in a minute, point two, and as they walked in, point three. Let me show you this humility. Number one, Luke chapter 9, verse 1, then he called Jesus, his 12 disciples together. Some call these the apostles, the ones who were sent. And he gave them power and authority. Power and authority overall, not 99.9%, all demons, and to cure diseases. He gave them power and authority. Now, many people read a text like this and they say, oh, well, of course he gave the 12 apostles power and authority. Of course, he gave them authority, but he's not going to give anyone else authority. Well, I will pontificate or I will theorize with you for a moment and act like I'm on your side. Now, let's let Jesus then tell us if he agrees with what we just thought. Oh, he just gave it to the 12, but he's not going to give it to us. That's Luke 9. Let's go to Luke 10. And Luke chapter 10, the Bible says he then appoints the 70 and he gives them power to trample over all of disease all the serpents of the enemy, all demonic spirits. And he gives the power, by the way, to babes in Jesus. These are not mature people. I'll explain it to you in a minute. We'll come to the text. We'll look at it. He's not giving authority in Luke 10 to mature disciples. He's giving them to babes. 
in Christ. Power and authority to these babes. Now let's continue on. Luke chapter 9 verse 6. So he gives the 12 power and authority. And they departed and went, watch this, through the towns. Preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. These 12 men now being commissioned by the Lord go into the towns. And they declare the kingdom of God. Y'all this is a really interesting text to me for several reasons. Number one. Jesus came to earth with authority because the Father said he came to destroy the works of the devil. 1 John tells us that Jesus came to destroy the works of the evil one. So he came with authority. Now listen to me. Listen to me. This is important. There is a distinct difference between authority and power. Okay? If there wasn't a distinct difference between power and authority in the kingdom of God, it wouldn't say that he gave them power and authority because that would be redundant. He would just say he gave them power. Or he would say I just gave them authority. He didn't. He said he gave him authority and he gave him power over all diseases and to heal everyone over the power of the enemy. Now watch this. Authority comes in the commission of Jesus. You receive authority in receiving the commission of Jesus. Watch this. You and I are commissioned by the Lord. That means we are called alongside of. We can't have a commission unless there's a primary mission. So I am commissioned beside the Lord, at the hip of the Lord. I'm called alongside of him. And watch this. The authority we walk in is only equal to the measure we have embraced that mission. This is where we get it wrong in the body of Christ. I'm a believer. I walk in authority. No, you don't if you're not making disciples. Because you're not active in the kingdom and you've not embraced the commission. But when you come into alignment with the commission of Jesus, authority increases. So what happens is, as I come into alignment with the commission that Jesus places upon me as his child, I then begin to walk in a new level of authority. You can only become commissioned or brought together as you yield to the primary mission. And as you yield to the primary mission, which is making disciples, Jesus' primary mission was not to preach, teach, and heal. He preached, teached, taught, and healed because he was making disciples. If he would have preached, taught, and healed, we would have no Christians today. He made disciples. Preaching, teaching, and healing does not go to the next generation. Preaching, teaching, and healing is ministry that touches us. But if he doesn't create disciples, his ministry doesn't outlast him. So he creates disciples. That's his primary mission. As I come alongside the primary mission of Jesus and commission alongside the Lord, then I begin to walk in the authority that he gives. And the commission of the Lord is what releases the disciples And the disciples are brought into, let me say it this way, a personal relationship with Jesus where he called the 12 of them them to him and he said, come with me, be with me. Watch this. Then what did he do? He called them into service and he brought them under the umbrella of his own mission. Okay, imagine me holding an umbrella, Jesus holding an umbrella. He He brings the disciples under his own umbrella and watch this. And he brings him under his own encounter with the Holy Spirit. Now watch this. That's important. If you remember when Jesus is water baptized, Mark chapter, or Luke chapter 3, verse 21. The Bible says in order to start his earthly ministry, he went to the river Jordan, and he's there. And, and John doesn't want to baptize him, and he says, no, you must do this in order to fulfill all righteousness. And Jesus goes down in the water. He comes up out of the water. Now when he comes up out of the water, the Bible says in Luke 3 that the heavens opened. Mark's gospel, chapter 1, verse 17, the heavens torn. They were torn apart. That word torn apart in the Greek is the same word for the rocks that were crumbling when Jesus died. This is is not a simple whisk. This is a violent tearing. You remember when Jesus died, the temple was torn, the, the veil was torn from top to bottom? Same word for torn 
is this word here. What is he saying? He's saying at Jesus' baptism, there was this violent ripping of an open heaven. And when that ripping took place, what happens? The Holy Spirit, go back to the passage, descended on Jesus like a dove, like as a simile. We often call these similes or metaphors. It does not mean the Holy Spirit is a dove. Doesn't mean the Holy Spirit is a flame. He's like a flame, okay? In other words, it's de- describing the significance of the character of the abiding. And in John's gospel, it's even more dope. It says it remained. And you got Jesus walking up out of the water with a dove on his shoulder. Yeah, I mean, how, how amazing is that passage? And so the Bible says, after the Holy Spirit comes on him like a dove, watch this, Luke 4 and 1, Jesus is full of the Holy Spirit and driven into the wilderness. It's not an option. The Holy Spirit drives him into 40 days of fasting. He's tempted by Satan three times, right? He constantly says it is written, the angels come, the demons depart. In fact, Satan's, the Bible says that Satan departed and looked for a more opportune time to come. And he does you too. Oh man, he plans his schemes 20 and 30 years in front of you. Oh, I've seen people who have been in abusive homes where young boys could not have the opportunity to be able to take care of their dad who is, who is abusing their mother and they feel helpless. And that's 20 years later, that, that young boy is now a pastor. And as a pastor, a woman comes to him in his church and her husband's beating. And before you know it, he feels this sense of helping her and redeeming her. And before long, he's coming up to her doorstep saying, I love you. And he's leaving as a pastor, three of his kids and his family to go after this damsel in distress. Why? Because the enemy planned it 20-something years ago. At 20-something, the enemy knows exactly. Oh my goodness. He, he, he looks so far out into the future and he's so wise and so cunning and so crafty. Now he's not omniscient. I did not say he knows all things. Only God knows that. He's not omnipotent. He's not all powerful. Don't, don't, don't get me wrong, but absolutely is he crafty. And the Bible says that Jesus is now driven into the wilderness. Now, here's what is amazing to me. Both power and authority are essential for the Christian life and ministry in the 21st century. People say all the time, well, Craig, do I need the fullness of the Holy Spirit to to live in America? I'm like, I need the baptism of the Holy Spirit to go into Walmart, y'all. Okay? Like, you, you can't even go into Walmart without the baptism of the Holy Spirit today. What do you mean do you need the baptism of the Spirit to operate, right? I went to Walmart this morning at about 8 a.m., and I got my little bowl, and it was amazing, Zay. Nobody's in there. I was walking through. I could have coughed in every aisle if I wanted to. I mean, there was nobody. There was nobody in there. It was amazing, right? But, but you understand what I'm saying is that, that ultimately we need the power and the authority. Now, watch this. It is not true that what was released over the 12 is only for the 12. I get this a lot. Let me, let me tell you why. You remember the Great Commission? We don't preach on discipleship much in this church, I understand. But Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20, Jesus, now going to the Father and ascending, says this, All authority has been given in heaven and earth to me. He says, Therefore, you go and watch this, make disciples of all nations. Watch this. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. Here it is. You ready? Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. What does that mean? He said, whatever I have taught you, you are to impart to others. Every red letter in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is to be taught by you 
two other people who would come into relationship with God as a result of your witness. In order to be faithful to the commission means I have to know all the red letters so I can teach all the red letters. And if I don't know all the red letters, I'm going to not teach part of the red letters, part of the words of Jesus. And he says, watch this, inherent in the statement to teach everything I've commanded you in that little bit of instruction was God's prophetic declaration that that which the disciples did was supposed to be an ongoing work for all believers from that point on. All point. It was a, some theologians call it a renewed new breed of people in the earth. Now watch this. Jesus was the only begotten of the Father, John 3, 16, right? But then he became the firstborn from among the dead, Romans 8, 29. Now watch this. Resurrection power was to flow through Jesus to be the firstborn from the dead. And when he became the firstborn from the dead, he was the prototype of every believer. You and I are to follow after the prototype Jesus. And he modeled for us what resurrection power was to flow in and through every born-again believer. We are now to look to him as the illustrator, the model. And in this passage, we have this sense where, where the disciples were brought into a very personal relationship with Jesus, and, and they brought, he brought them alongside of him in his commission, in his own assignment, and then he gave them power. Now look, church, I don't know how to explain this, but I, I want you to see its truth. Now theologians have debated this for years. Watch this. There is no record of the disciples ever having one encounter with the Holy Spirit during their earthly ministry while Jesus is here. Why do you say that? Not one time do they have an encounter with the Holy Spirit until Acts 2. Now, why do I say that? Because when Jesus sent them out of ministry, when he's living and he's not going to the cross yet, what he essentially, I don't know how to explain it. I'm just telling you what's true. He somehow brought them under the umbrella of his own encounter and his own authority. And when he brought them under the umbrella of his own authority and his own encounter, then he sent them out. But when he died, he said, you have to have your own power and authority. It's no longer about just being commissioned. Listen, if it's just about being commissioned, Jesus wouldn't have said, go to the upper room. He would have died, resurrected, looked at the disciples and said, go, go be witnesses. He didn't do that. He said, yes, you're caught alongside my commission, but you can't do that commission apart from an encounter in the upper room. So what is Jesus saying? Hey, you guys somehow were under my umbrella of power and authority when, when I was living, but now... Now you're going to have to get your own power and authority. What they did for three and a half years is operate under the mantle of Jesus himself. And then he gave them the specific commission, make disciples, and, 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 and ultimately stay in Jerusalem until you're clothed with power from on high. So watch this. Authority comes in the commission, but power comes in the encounter. Authority comes in the commission you receive and obedience to it. And power to do the commission comes from you encountering the Spirit. Holy Spirit encounter. Now, when the Spirit comes on Jesus and Jesus' baptism, it was an answer to Isaiah's prayer. This is what Isaiah said in 64, 1, 750 years before Jesus was baptized. He said, oh, that you would rend the heavens. What? God. That you would come down and that the mountains might shake at your presence. Now, as a church, do we want open heavens over our city? Come on. Do we want open heavens over our nation? Is it right for us to cry out for that? Yes, but at the same time, listen to me. Most things grow in the kingdom with proper use. Most things. What do you mean, Craig? 
the kingdom, you increase in finances by stewarding well the finances you have now. See, we, we, we ask for open heavens. We actually live in an open heaven. We'll talk about that in a minute. And we don't increase until we do and steward well what we've already received. You increase in anointing by stewarding well the anointing you have now. If God's put an anointing on you to make disciples and you don't go make disciples, don't ask him to rend the heavens anymore. Don't ask him to open heavens. Why? Because you're not doing what he already told you to do. And so if you're not going to be faithful and obedient to come alongside the commission he gave, why would you get more anointing? Why would you steward? Why would you get more from God when you're not stewarding what you've received? If you want more finances, you have to steward well the finances you have now. If you want more anointing for life and ministry, you have to steward well what you have been given. Well, Craig, what have we been given in the realm called open heaven? Is it possible that every believer on the planet actually lives under an open heaven. How did you receive the Holy Spirit? Jesus modeled for us. He illustrated what? What it looked like to walk in the Holy Spirit, and he's our prototype. He illustrated what it was like to operate in that domain. Now, y'all, most of you, probably like the first gathering, are saying, that's real simple. I get it. But it changed my life. When I was... 18 years old, 20, 19 years old, and I gained understanding of this. Since that understanding, it has changed my life. It changed my awareness. Why? Because whatever you are aware of, you release in the kingdom of God. Watch this. You impart the thing you are most conscious, aware of God and his kingdom. So if you are aware of discipleship and the conscious reality, you will make disciples. You'll admit it to everybody you talk to. If you're conscious and aware of the king's domain, you will walk in kingdom dominion everywhere you go. You always release whatever you are most aware of in the kingdom. Let me say it this way. You become a broker of the reality of God that you live most conscious of. So you broker into the world whatever reality of the truth of God and his kingdom that you constantly meditate on. Y'all, listen, listen. And let me put some real terms to it. You know what it's like to walk into a room and have somebody feel with anxiety and feel with fear and feel with confusion. They don't have to show you their face. They don't have to open their mouth and they emit anxiety everywhere. No? Am I the only one that senses this? You walk into a room with some major anxiety and you, you can cut the anxiety, right? In other words, what are you saying? We don't ever expect the shadow of a fear-filled person to heal someone. You don't sit up in the COVID bed with a ventilator and want somebody to come in and pray for you. It's full of fear and anxiety. Why? Because we instinctively know what? That whatever we are aware of, we emit. Whatever we are conscious of, we give off. Whatever we're meditating on, that's the experience that people have around us. So listen, if that's the case, let's reverse that. If I'm a person who's conscious of the Spirit of God and I'm stewarding it correctly, then what happens? People are healed when I go into rooms. See, if I'm conscious of the awareness of God's kingdom and domain and his faithfulness to, to meet people where they are, I can go into the same situations where everybody else is, a, is so fearful and so full of doubt, and all of a sudden, what happens? The air gets cleared. It's true. It's true. It's true in the kingdom. It's true even with the birth of Jesus. An unborn baby recognizes the divinity of Jesus in Mary's womb before he even comes out the womb. He kicks in Elizabeth's womb. So what are you saying, Craig? Whatever we live in constant fellowship with, that's what's released from our lives. So if we constantly 
constantly think of a reality of God's kingdom, it's going to be emitted from our lives. In other words, we bring the reality of that kingdom into this world. See, God's not interested in us going up to that kingdom. He's interested in us being vessels to welcome that kingdom here. He didn't save us to get us out of here to take us there. He saved us so we can become vessels of what's there becoming reality here. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Not Craig, take away. Craig, get out of here. Are you with me? Your kingdom come, your will be done. Enforce your will, your kingdom, where I'm at. Use me as a yielded vessel. Listen, folks, a yielded vessel is a manifestation of the kingdom of God. And God doesn't have any plan Bs. What is he saying? He's saying that when I'm yielded, when I have a yielded, surrendered heart, I become the vessel by which God's kingdom gets expressed. The king's domain. Watch this. Where the Lord is, the king of the kingdom, that dominion is expressed. And wherever that is expressed over and through a yielded and surrendered heart, as that domain is expressed over a person's speech and over their actions, as that happens, God's kingdom is released. So watch this. It means that when I'm yielded and surrendered, the king's domain overtakes my speech. And when the king's domain overtakes my speech, I now speak words of life. I speak faithfully of what God is calling. Life transformation happens by the words I speak. This is not what Jesus taught in John 6. He said, my words are spirit and they are life. Now, that same book, John Chapter 1, the Bible says, He, Jesus, the Word, became flesh. He said, My words are spirit and life, John 6. But John 1 said, The Word became flesh. So when the Word became flesh, now when the Word speaks, the Word of God becomes spirit. So everything Jesus says is now spirit. We know when He spoke, follow along with me, He only spoke what He heard what? The Father say. He said nothing apart from what he heard the Father say. So that every time he spoke, his words became spirit. Craig, why is that important? Because the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. It's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Watch this. That means the kingdom's domain. That means wherever the kingdom of God is on the earth, it's not meat and it's not drink. It is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Watch this. The kingdom of God is in the Holy Spirit. So that means when I experience the Holy Spirit and I get overwhelmed and I'm crying and the emotions are right. Why? Because you're foretasting of a kingdom that you will one day forever inherit. The Spirit of God is the domain where the kingdom is expressed. And it's the only plan of God for our day and age. The kingdom of God gets expressed. His domain in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom is contained within the Holy Spirit's presence. And as the Holy Spirit becomes manifest, the realm of the kingdom becomes clear. Because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what? There's liberty. Listen to me, church. The evidence of the presence of the kingdom is liberty. What that means is the evidence of the influence of the king is that people are free. They're free from disease. They're free from depression. They're free from anxiety. They're free from torment. They're free from sin. The trademark of God's kingdom is freedom. Freedom. People are free. People feel liberty. Everyone, I would say, in this room has had that experience where you're in a hospital room and you get a bad prognosis and everybody else is anxious. And everybody else is doubt-filled. And everybody else is fearful. And everybody else is confused. And one person walks in the room and makes one statement and it completely clears the air. Why? The circumstance didn't change. Circumstance is the same. Why? 
You know what I'm talking about? One person can walk in. You know normally who you want that one person to be. They can come in and say one statement and you feel lighter. Why? Because another world became manifest in your world. That's how the kingdom advances. From us as yielded vessels who allow the kingdom and commission of the Lord to flow in and through our lives so that when we speak, when we act, when we reach, when we touch, the kingdom of God gets expressed into this world. We have been given a huge privilege, church, of releasing the reality of His kingdom. And our assignment is to, to declare that the kingdom of God is within reach. Jesus said, the kingdom of God's at hand. You know what that means? The realm of my dominion is at hand. You know what Jesus is saying? Can I give you the Craig James, or Craig Mosgrove, Craig James, King James, Craig Mosgrove paraphrase? Can I give you that? This is what Jesus is saying. My world is within reach. How? Because I just spoke to you. Jesus walks into a new room. What does he do? Kingdom of God is within reach right now. How? Because I just spoke to you. And where I speak, empowered of the Spirit, within the presence of the Spirit is the entire kingdom and its resources. That's why Jesus looks at disciples and he says, the kingdom of God's within you. Don't say it's out there. It's within you. Why? Because you have a yielded, surrendered heart. And the more that I yield and surrender, guess what the kingdom does? It becomes more and more expressed. More and more expressed in my life, my attitudes, my reflections, all of that. So how do we know? As soon as Jesus says what the Father is saying, there are options available for people that did not exist a few minutes ago. There are people in your room at work that are living hell. They are eating right now at home the fruits of hell. That's what they had for breakfast. And they won't know the fruits of heaven until you walk into the room empowered by the Spirit and open your mouth and declare a different kingdom. And when you declare a different kingdom, the king and his domain gives an option for that person that did not exist before you spoke. Now, I don't know why God did it this way. This is the way he set up his kingdom, that we would be vessels. He wanted partnership with us. You see why we have such amazing responsibility? Amazing responsibility to speak his word. Why? Because his words become spirit, and the spirit of God contains God's dominion and authority. Can I tell you one other thing? We'll go to number two. Because we also are partakers of the divine nature, what that means, church, is that it is within our nature to hear God's voice. It's been given to us in our divine nature to be hearers of God. People say, I can't hear God. Well, you can if you're a believer, because within your divine nature, you're now a hearer. Now, we can mess that up, can't we? The more anxious we become, more fearful we become, we mess that up. We don't hear. The more jacked up we become, more rebellious, disobedient we become, we mess up. But we still have the capacity to hear the shepherd by the divine nature given to us. I tell people all the time, speech cannot be overemphasized in the kingdom. It can be misused and abused, but it cannot be overemphasized. You cannot overemphasize how important your speech is as a child of God. Impossible to overemphasize. Jesus owned everything. Now listen, I don't know how this will hit you, but when I, when I consistently think about this truth, it, it makes me teary-eyed every time. You see what it does to you. Jesus owned everything as the divine, eternal Son of God. Everything. He gave it all up. Every bit of it. All of it. He became a man. When he died on the cross and was resurrected, he re-inherited all of it. Let me say it again. 
He had everything. He gave it up. He re-inherited it as our elder brother and went ahead of us and inherited everything so that we would be in line for the inheritance. If he didn't give it up, we would never be in line. He gave it up to become a man that he would re-inherit it, that we would be in line to receive it. There is no greater love. Everything. The inheritance of the Father is ours in Jesus. What the Father thinks of the Son, the Father thinks of you. Everything the Father intends for the Son, the Father intends for you. There's nothing the Father intends for Jesus that He doesn't intend for you. That's Jesus. What does that do? It produces pride in me, Pastor Craig. Are you serious? The only thing it can produce is what? Humility. Humility. I love this. Luke, I told you I'd share this passage, so I will before we go to two. Look at 10. Luke 10, remember you said, oh, he only gave it to the 12. Well, now he gives it to the 70. And the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. <laughs> I love this story, y'all. <laughs> he comes back to Jesus. He's like, hey, even the demons submit to you, Jesus. And Jesus is like, really? Man, I had no idea. That's amazing, really? Like, oh, I had no idea demons would submit that way, right? I mean, this is what they think. Like, oh, man, Jesus, I don't know if you know this or not, but <laughs> we were out there on the side of the street, and there's a guy demon-possessed, and we spoke to him in your name, and they submitted. And Jesus is like, oh, I had no idea. No, you know what he says? He says, yeah, I saw Satan fall like lightning. You know what he's essentially saying? Yeah, when one man, one created angel, Satan, Lucifer, crossed my dad, my dad said, you're out. I know who I am, and of course demons submit to my name. If, I tell people a lot of times in apologetics, if you don't love Jesus in the sense like you know him, that's fine. That's cool. We don't, none of us grow up loving him. We grow up with hatred in our heart. But just consider him as a person who speaks. And you'll realize this dude is brilliant. How does he speak like this? The way he speaks makes me love him more. The way he communicates, oh yeah, nobody, yeah. We, we saw the demons submit to your name. Yeah, I saw Satan fall like lightning. And then when you think that God's for me, who in the world can be against me? If I'm in that God's grip, what am I afraid of today? If he's holding me, what in the world could I be fearful of? Oh, yeah, I saw Satan fall like lightning. <laughs> you think that suffering is not going to produce a harvest of righteousness in your life, Craig? Are you serious? I saw Satan fall like lightning. That's what's supposed to happen when we read the text of Jesus. After I'd been saved a little while, I started serving a, a youth conference called Winterfest. Now, it was a charismatic Pentecostal denomination. People who believed in the gifts of the Spirit and the freedom of the Spirit. And so, I, not knowing that, started learning about the charismatic movement and learning about the gifts of the Spirit. And for me, for the first time in my life, I was growing in the Lord and learning that you could actually, you could actually have demonic bondage even as a believer. And I was never taught that. I did not say you can be demonically possessed as a believer. Impossible. Where the Lord is, there's liberty. But you can be absolutely in bondage as you've given yourself open to, to open doors. We see this throughout Scripture. So uh, I'm a part of a conference now where I am called to be like the altar guy. And this is a conference that's about 15,000 people, and it's people who are deeply charismatic. So when the service got done, 
Anytime this pastor would get up and pray a prayer of deliverance, demons would manifest. It didn't happen all the time, but they would manifest. And so I don't know how I got the title, Greg, but I got the title of being like the demon pastor at, at Winterfest, okay? And so, so I don't know how it happened, but every year at Winterfest, this man, this pastor, this woman would get up and pray a prayer of deliverance, and all of a sudden demons would manifest. And here's what we would do. First thing I would do is I'd get the person who's manifesting demons, and I'd take them to another room. And the reason I did that is because I hate being in services when somebody's demonically manifesting and everybody just becomes an eavesdropper to watch this. This is a nice little gallery here. Just everybody watch this poor soul, right? And so, and Satan loves to draw attention to himself. That's why it's always. I was preaching in Africa a few years ago and a, a demon-possessed man who was an alcoholic comes and screams in the open air. And all of our students are like here in front of me and their eyes are like this big, you know? And I'm like, I look at the translator and I'm like, do I keep preaching or do I not, you know? And this dude is, is absolutely demon, demonized. And so, so I, I, I would always be called to come over and deal with people when they were demonized. So this one particular year, um, I thought it was going to be like any other instance, a, a lady. I'll just say this. She was a large lady, very, very athletic, very large. She starts manifesting a demon. And so because Satan loves to draw attention to himself, we said, okay, take her to her room. Well, some time passes, and they come and get me, and they say, Craig, um, we, the, the demons are not leaving this lady. We think you can handle it. And I'm like, well, I don't want to be that guy all the time. But I never forget, honestly, this is as, as true as, as can be. I begin standing there in that room. And as I'm standing in that room, I start thinking, well, they couldn't get the demons out. So I'm going to start making my way. And when I did, pride began to well up in my heart. Now, every time I tell one of these stories, I think about our first-time guest. Okay, we do not teach growling in DP membership. Okay, I go, and this woman is growling. Okay, and as I'm walking down the corridor, all of a sudden this pride begins to well up in my heart. I'm thinking, yeah, they couldn't get this demon out, and so I walk. I remember very clearly. I walk into the room, and this woman is facing the other way, and she has two grown men holding her arms down, and she's contorting our body. Some of you may have never seen this, but her legs are back, and her her toes are coming back on her shoulders. So her body's completely contorting. And I never forget, I walked into the room, and when I did, she's growling, and she throws both arms up, and these men fall off of her, and she turns and looks towards the door, and she said, I've been waiting for you. And all the pride left. <laughs> all the pride I just had, it, it left. And I, didn't, I was frozen in fear. I didn't know where to turn and run. I didn't know where to grab my Bible. I didn't know what to do. And all of a sudden, I hear out of the corner a little, little voice. I said, you stop it. I said, where'd that come from? And I look over, and there's a woman, elderly woman, 95 pounds, soaking wet. And she stands up and looks at that girl, and she says, you stop it. Now, I don't know why older people, they get curved fingers, but I just remember her curved finger. Okay? They're never straight. I don't know why it happens, but I, I remember looking at that curved finger, and she stood up, and she looked at that girl, but she wasn't speaking to the girl. She was speaking to the spirit, and she said, you, you stop it. You stop talking. You stop making a scene for yourself. You be exercised, gone in the name of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit and the blood of the Lamb. And I never forget, that lady took that young girl's face with both her hands, and she looked at her, and she said, sweetie, it's okay. There's nothing to be afraid of. They're gone. And the demons were gone. And then I went and changed my shorts. And um, 
She had authority, why? Because she walked in humility. I didn't have authority, why? Because I walked in pride. Here's the second thing that has to happen if you want the authority God's given you. You have to have faith. Faith. So it's number one, it's clearly humility. Number two, faith. I will move very quickly with this in Matthew 8, 5 and 10. And when Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion, centurion just means he's a Roman leader over 100 soldiers, century, saying, Lord, my servant's at home. He's paralyzed. He's dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. And the centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. Now watch this. This is powerful. And the scripture says, I also, also jumped out off the page of me. And my man under authority having soldiers under me, and I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to the other, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. Watch this. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, surely I didn't even found this in my own people. I've not found this kind of faith in the, the, the Jews, not even in Israel. Now, this man was, member a Roman. Why did he have great faith? Because he understood authority. Did you, hear the, did you hear the passage? Here is what is amazing. Jesus said, I'll come heal your servant. The man said, you don't need to. Just speak a word because I also am a man under authority and I have those under me. What's he saying? Look, church, I recognize, Jesus, you are under authority, therefore you have authority. I also, like you, Jesus, as a man under authority, so I have authority because I'm under authority. Are you with me? He had faith because he understood authority. I can't have authority unless I'm under authority. So he looks at Jesus and says, you're under authority, so I know you got authority. Because I am under authority, and I got authority in my kingdom. So what I want you to do is speak a word, and my servant will be healed. The servant's healed. Now, people all throughout the New Testament, this word faith and belief can be interchanged. So sometimes it says they had belief in Christ. Sometimes they had faith in Christ. The Greek word is pistis. The Greek, that's the noun. The Greek verb is called pistuo, means to believe. Faith is what you believe. Now, watch this. Watch this. If we want to walk in the authority of God, this is what Jesus said in John 16. He said, everything the Father has is mine. Everything. And I'm going to give it to you. Now, how does that transfer happen, Zay? This is what he said. He said, the Holy Spirit will take what is mine. Y'all imagine the bank of heaven. Here it is, heavenly resource. He says, the way the transfer is going to happen is the Holy Spirit's going to take what's mine because the Father gave me everything and everything that the Father's is mine. And so the Holy Spirit's going to take what's mine and he will declare it to you. That's what Jesus said in John 16. You know what that means? It means every time you hear the voice of God, he is transferring the resources of his world into your world. There's a deposit happening. It's not just words to try to stir up your imagination. Every time you hear God speak, resources from that bank go into your bank. Okay, You have a deposit happening to you. The Holy Spirit's going to take everything that's mine, and he's going to make it known to you. There's a deposit. The unlimited resource of his kingdom and his world becomes a part of your world, and you become bigger on the inside than you are on the outside. The, de- the deposit comes from God. And then he goes on. And he said, everything's yours. Now, I have a question. Why would God give us everything? I wrestled with that for weeks of my life. Why would you give us everything? Because this is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3. He says, death is yours and life is yours. To the believer, not Jesus. If God gives us death and life, that's pretty big realms, huh? Those are kind of minuscule realms or pretty big. Life and death are yours. And this is what he said, all things present and all things to come are yours. And he said, you are Christ. Notice he didn't say things of the past are yours. Why? Because things of the past no longer exist for the believer. They no longer exist 
all things have become new. Listen to me. Look at me, church. Anytime you revisit the events of your past apart from the redemption of Jesus, you visit a lie. You don't have access to it anymore because you didn't buy it. So if you go back to try to access events of your past apart from the blood of Jesus, you visit a lie and you open yourself to deception. Why? You and I do not have the right to lend our authority to our past because it doesn't exist for us anymore. He bought it. You don't have access to it anymore. You can't go back to it and access the emotions of your past because it's under the blood of Jesus. You don't have the authority to access that anymore. And he, he can take the events of your past and use it marvelous in your future. But anytime I start dwelling on the, the past or meditating on things of my past, apart from the redemption of Christ, I am visiting a lie because the past no longer exists, y'all. It was bought by the blood. You hear me? I actually subject myself to emotions that were related to something that was not redeemed, and I don't have the right to those emotions anymore. Jesus does not give me access to those emotions because he bought them. What are you saying, Craig? I'm saying I can't afford to have a thought in my head about me that he doesn't have in his head about me. Faith. So we have to have, number one, humility. Number two, you have to have faith. Here's the third one. Obedience. Obedience. This is how you walk in authority. I want to read this passage. Come on, Jesse. Matthew 21. This is what he said. Now, when he came into the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people confronted him as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority, Jesus? But Jesus, there and again, you got to love Jesus. Look what he does. He answered and said to them, "Uh, I'm going to ask you one thing. If you tell me the right answer, I'll tell you. Okay, it's not as funny to you as it is to me. Jesus is like, hey, you want to know what authority I do these things? Let me ask you a question. You get it right? I'll tell you. If not, I won't tell you, and the whole world will show how dumb, see how dumb you are. You know, like, I mean, this is what he's saying, right? Like, I mean, so he says to him, okay, I'm going to tell you something. If you want to know where I get my authority, let me, let me tell you something. You ready? All right, I'm going to tell you. The baptism of John. Where was it from, Pharisees? From heaven or from men? And they reasoned among themselves. You know, they got their heads together. Looks like they're on some game show here. And they say, well, if we say from heaven, then he's going to say, why'd you cut his head off and not believe him? But if we say he's from earth, or if we say he's from men, then we fear the multitude because they really like John. So they answered Jesus and said, we don't know. He said to them, I ain't going to tell you then either. (laughs) Now that's where we stop with the passage, but you can't do that. Because the next verse connects this paragraph to that paragraph. And the next question Jesus asked, he said, but what do you think? What do you mean, what do you think? They asked him where he got his authority. He told them a story. They didn't answer correctly. He wouldn't tell them the authority, but then what does he do? Ask him a question. What do you, where do you think my authority comes from? Are you following me? Where do you think it comes from? The man had two sons. Came to the first, said, son, go work today in my vineyard. The guy said, nope, not gonna do it. Wouldn't be prudent. After he regretted it and went, there's a movie title. And he came to the second and said, likewise, what's this? I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? And they said to him, the first. And Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that tax collectors and prostitutes go to heaven before you. What is Jesus saying? Two things. Number one, One man said he wasn't going to come to me. He did. One man said he wasn't going to do it. He did. Another said he was going to do it. Didn't do it. Which one did the will of his father? The 
the one who said he wouldn't and did it. God says to us, he would rather us say we won't do it and do it than say we'll do it and we won't do it. Are you with me? And so he says, the harlots who said they wouldn't come to me have received me now and you won't. You keep, you keep kicking me out of your house. No, no, the harlots, they, they meet with me. They, they welcome me with open arms. So you know what? They're going to go to heaven before you. What's he saying? You know where I got my authority? By doing the will of the Father. You want authority in the kingdom? Obey. I'm talking about raw obedience. Raw obedience to Jesus gives authority. And here's what he said. I got it from obedience. Now look, church, as a believer, you have a ring of authority, but you can walk in pride and hand the ring back. You have a ring of authority, but you can believe a lie and hand the ring back. You walk in authority, but you can what? Disobey or rebel, and you hand the ring back. Obedience is huge. Oh, it's so big. Can I give you one quick example of this? The Bible says, the Lord says, shout to the Lord. That's a command of scripture. Shout to the Lord. It does not say all of you extroverted individuals at DP who like to be verbose, give shouts of praise. For those of you who are introverted and the extroverted introverts and the introverted extroverts, just think happy thoughts and I'll know what you mean. Why? Watch this. Yet God won't violate who you are, and yet he tells you to do something you're not comfortable doing. Why? Because he knows who you are. Look at me, church. He knows the act of obedience will take you into a renewed identity that has nothing to do with what you, what you, what you previously thought about yourself. So here's what he does. The way he gets authority into you is he asks you to do things that are against your personality. He asks you to do things that are not normal for you. He asks you to do things that are, are not un- according to your script. Why? Because that's only when he can get you aware of a renewed identity that is not what you think your parents gave you. So it's not, we're all obsessed with giftedness. Well, I'm quiet and I meditate like this. That's cool. But there's times where he says, shout to the Lord. So if he says, shout to the Lord, shout to the Lord. If he says, dance for the Lord, don't stand in your chair. You dance before the Lord. Why? Because you want authority. You don't have any right to say no to the king. If he says rejoice, we rejoice. Just raw obedience. Why? Because it will awaken me to the renewed identity of who he really calls me to be. And that's the way of the kingdom. That's why obedience releases us into realms of God that we cannot get any other way. He says, shout, I'll shout. He says, stop, I'll stop. It does not have to fit the concept of my gift or personality. It's just whatever he commands. So he says in James 1.22, this is what God says. He says, James 1.22, he said, obey the message given to you. Obey it. Watch this. And don't fool yourselves just by listening to it. Now, how many of you all would believe that the word of God is the way God speaks to us? Would we agree with that in church? Now, he uses the Holy Spirit, but would we agree that he doesn't speak things that are contrary to God's scripture? Okay, so watch this. The Bible says you're washed with the water of the word. Okay? So I want you to watch there's three types of people. They come to church every weekend. First one represented, I'm going to use some kitchen utensils. Maybe a car utensil. You got the first group of people. Here's what they do. Washing of the water of the word, they hear the word. And they retain nothing. Y'all never met these people, right? Oh, 
It's almost like you can get them on stage and look through one ear and you'll see daylight out the other side. It's like, is there, is there, any, is there anything in there? These are the people I stopped counseling years ago. I counsel with you for four hours and you do everything opposite of what I said for four hours, you're probably not going to get another hour with me because you won't hear the word. You're just actively, passively, at passively listening to it, not actively doing it. Okay, so we have a second group of people. Sifters, sift. These people, washing of the water. So what you can't see is that there's actually a little bit of water remaining here. So these people, they retain some of the word of God and principles, but when life shakes them, they forget everything. They have a little bit of retention, but the moment life shakes them, all the principles, all the truths, all the reality of God's kingdom gets sifted out of their life. So instead of being a funnel, Instead of being a sieve, we're to be sponges. What do sponges do? They absorb. They absorb. Do you remember when you first became a believer of how much you absorbed the Word of God? Oh my God, I was so hungry. I think my youth pastor had to have a restraining order on me because I wouldn't leave his house. I mean, I was like, teach me, teach me, teach me, teach me, teach me. Open the Bible, teach me, teach me, teach me, teach me. I, I could not eat enough scripture. I was ferocious in my appetite. But here's what happens. You remember your time? If you just keep saturating yourself in Scripture, you can't take in any more truth. Why? Because you're not doing anything with it. And so over a period of time, we sit in church for so long that we just keep on being saturated. We're supposed to be wrung out for the glory of God so that we can then be refilled with His truth. You want the authority of the kingdom? You pour out your life like a drink offering, and then you receive more truth. You, you, you really want your life to change? You pour yourself out, and then what happens? Then you're useful. You can go into your workplace, and you can help out with that divorce, and you can clean up that situation of sin with that family, and you can help speak some wisdom and light to that issue of that person who's living a living hell every day and, and then your life becomes useful to the master. So who are we? Are we funnels? Are we sifters? Are we sponges? Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you would like more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org.